The Guardian. Hello and welcome to our final Guardian Ashes podcast. The summer has flown by quicker than Simon Kerrigan's test career and what started with a Warner punch in a Birmingham bar allegedly ended with the England team all doing Monty Panassar impressions on the oval pitch. But we're not going to dwell on wee issues like that. Oh no, we'll be looking back on the fifth and final test and the obvious controversy that rumbles on and on the series as a whole, considering why it's so hard to pick a combined team that has more English than Australian players, working out what the last few weeks tell us about the winter to come, hoping that DRS issues will will just go away and trying to predict the teams that will line up in Brisbane. There's so much to cram in and so onwards and just about through the studio gloom I can pick out the deputy editor of the Observer magazine Emma John, John Ashdown of the Guardian's over by over coverage and a man who's not bitter and has never before heard that line, Jeff Lemon uh, of the Raw from Australia. Uh, you're all very welcome and Jeff, I will start with you. Can we get to the bottom firstly of this um this story, non-story whatever about what happened at half past 11 at night. Apparently all of the Australian papers are running with it, but 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 they're not, are they? Well, I don't know that they are. I think all of the Rupert Murdoch papers are running with it ah. uh, because that tends to be their way. So if they can find something to be cranky and bitter about, uh, they will. Uh, and I guess what they're being cranky and bitter about is that England players were celebrating and may have urinated on the pitch, which uh, was no longer being used because the Test match was over. So I say, who cares? They were having a nice time. I was actually at the ground at about midnight last night, not urinating on the pitch with the England players, but I could hear them having a nice sing along out in the middle of the ground and I thought it was a nice stirring emotional moment you know they've had all this tension and all this pressure and suddenly the ground's empty the spectators have gone and they're not answerable to anyone anymore the, the pressure's finally off and you think this is their moment just to relax and, and it would have been except some sneaky prick of an Australian journalist in the press box is sitting there going oh they're having a nice time I'm going to shaft them so basically that's what happened and they were apparently singing Wonderwall as yes. well. did you hear the strains of Wonderwall I did, did you? I did nothing indeed. if not original the England team and they had a guitar out there, there was some strumming, the chord work was quite good, it was, quite, it was fairly tight and uh, I think Wonderwall is a nice song with a little bit of emotion in it, you know, it makes you feel nostalgic and, and it's, a, it's a generational song and I thought it was a good thing. I'm actually really pleased to hear about this story because I was really worried that that whole celebration on the pitch, you know, after the end presentation, was, was really looked like a North London garden party you know, they had all their kids running around and it was very family and, and, then, and then they were drinking their champagne out of plastic cups you know I mean mm-hmm. what what have sportsmen come to yeah. that they're not swigging it from the bottle they're actually passing around these delicate little cups I was mm-hmm. very disappointed with well that, I, I can say that in, in the last six weeks in the UK I don't think I've had one drink out of a glass everywhere I've gone it's been in a plastic cup because apparently you can't be trusted not to shove a glass into someone else's face so that's uh, one thing I look forward to going home is having a drink out of a glass which I will not use to kill a man what you didn't notice was that all the other English people who are in the pubs were drinking out of glasses <laughs> They just gave you a plastic one because of uh, because of your accent. Um, I'm now going to do a seamless link from Wonderwall, John. So just bear with me here. Um, if they'd sung um, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" by Nirvana, the following link uh, would be relevant. Uh, because if the mantra of modern cricket is "Here we are now, entertain us," uh, then uh, everyone tried to do that on Sunday, um, and then it was all ruined um, right at the end, wasn't it? And Jeff Jeff liked the link, I think. And, and it, the fact it didn't stand out from the rest of the show, I thought, was was particularly good. It, it is indeed nothing if not a postmodern podcast, but. Uh, the light issue let's get to the bottom of it as it were it was i mean it was a it was a dual thing it was great that we almost had a game and we did have a game but then it was all ruined wasn't it well i i sort of take a slightly contrary view to all this kind of the game was ruined and all that obviously preferably would have seen the finish would have seen those last four overs 
I don't have a massive problem with with the way with the way it ended. I think the people that were there will have gone home having had a fantastic day's Test cricket, and the fact that it ended in such in a way in such unsatisfactory fashion will almost kind of like add to the sort of mystique and add to the legend and the stories that you'll be able to tell over the years. Mm-hmm. And people sort of want to. Well, I heard a lot of claims last night for common sense, um, but I don't want cricket to make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's five. It's a five-day game where you can have a draw. And they carry on playing even if there's no you know, possible prospect of a result. Like T20 cricket makes sense in the modern world because it's self-contained, it's exciting, there's slogans, there's catchphrases, there's sponsorship, there's dancing girls. And it's by and large terrible. Like test cricket shouldn't make sense. And if the, you know, although I feel sorry for everybody that was there to some extent, I'd have loved to have been there. But you know, I, I don't necessarily feel that what happened at the end last night was the disaster for cricket that it's painted to be. In, in a way, I mean, John has got a, a very good point, Emma, hasn't he? Because it's the game fighting back against modernity, isn't it? And isn't that the one of the wonders of cricket, that uh, you can try and control me, you can try and turn me into neatly packaged pot noodle entertainment, but I am not going to let you? No, I don't agree. <laughs> I, I was there, and uh, I can say that it was you know, among the most frustrating experiences of my life. And I, you know, I, of course I love cricket and I love, love the, I love the, this old fashioned ways that we have about us. But I think when you've now got to the point where it's perfectly possible to carry on playing under lights, um, and it wasn't even as dark there as, you know, we were talking about 2000 and Karachi, you know, (laughs) I wasn't in Karachi, but I know from what people have said, it wasn't anything like as dark there. So the point is, it's not um, consistent, is it? And there's a very easy way to make it consistent. And that is to say that once the lights are on, you can keep playing for a result. Now, I'm sure there are other circumstances, you know, other days on which you like, we can't carry on like this every single day of the match. But when it's when it's a result and when you're basically robbing people, of the joy of seeing their home side finish an Ashes series in exciting glory, then I think that's really rubbish. But it's really all about consistency, isn't it? That's why that rule exists, because the umpires make a ruling on bad light uh, when their light meters reach a certain level, and then in the interest of consistency, they have to apply that level any time the light drops below that level for the rest of the match. So, you know, Australia got taken off the pitch in Old Trafford when they didn't want to be, and, you know, here they got to go off the pitch when they were probably secretly quite pleased. And how much better would have the series been if in both of those cases the teams have been allowed to stay on I, I agree with you but in the interest of consistency if that's if that's what we're after then uh, it at least is a consistent approach if a consistently annoying approach I heard this great story it might it might be apocryphal but I had this story yesterday about an ODI where the uh, the one of the teams one of the captains was begging to come off for bad light and the the, the um, umpire wouldn't let them and kept them on for another two hours and eventually he um he pointed into the sky the moon was out and he pointed into the sky said what's that and the captain said the moon he said well how far do you want to see <laughs> nice nice it, it may be apocryphal but uh, be. <laughs> but no but uh, but i still like it i mean it, it's we're not going to talk about it forever because it's it, it's being blown up though isn't it john I mean, we got, you know, there were phone-ins this morning as we talked the day after the test match about has cricket gone mad, blah, 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 and all it's of this. Outrage. I mean, it, it, it's yeah, not that outrageous, a- is it? And, and, and the, you know, the alternative, and, and I hate to sound like I'm about 70 here and talk about the old days, but the test matches sometimes are dull. And the idea that if they hadn't tried to engineer a result and England had batted for the rest of the day and they'd shake hands at five o'clock, I kind of like. 
because that happens sometimes. And as we discussed before in the show, those longers, if you like, make the exciting bits all the more exciting. That's what made, um, you know, the, the Michael Vaughan sides win so exciting uh, back then. And, and it, it happens sometimes in cricket. And I guess that's what you're saying, John, in a way, that it's a frustrating sport, but that's why we love it. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I just... There seems to be there is a point when it's too dark to play cricket. I mean, even with the lights on. I mean, that's perhaps another issue. It's like, why is it too dark to play cricket if you've got the lights on? But it seems to be something with the background and picking the ball up in the in the background. So the alternative to that, if you want to carry on playing when it's dark, is to start playing white ball cricket um, for test matches and all the sort of issues that that brings with it. But I just don't think you can make up rules based on you can't make up match condition rules based on the match situation. You have to. The ICC kind of a rule in their rule book that says uh, if it's this dark, you have to stop unless it's quite close and it's exciting and there's lots of people there. You know that just not going that's not going to work. So they have to have this, you know, application of when it's too dark, it's too dark, whether it's on the the last day of the Ashes or the first day of a minor counties game. Well, Giles Clark is going to go to the ICC, as he said, and get everything sorted. Um, he made a slightly sinister comment uh, uh, in that uh, news conference afterwards, but uh, I suspect it will be sorted, will it, Jeff? Will it be changed, you think, that regulation? Can, can I say what Giles Clark could do is start the bloody match at half past ten? Yep, you know, you've, you've had an entire day lost to rain. You can make up time in any other country in the world. We make up time by starting earlier. And if you do that, remarkably enough, it gets dark at the end of the day in England. Now, this is a thing that happens in England. Uh, even during the summer so if you want to avoid that it's pretty bloody light at 10 o'clock why don't you start your match earlier and then you avoid all of these issues and you don't even have to go to the ICC the other point that I would make is that uh, for an England team that spent four days trying desperately to draw a match I don't think their fans can really complain that they then drew the match on the fifth day yeah that the good thing was if morally is the right word it was the right result morally from the test match and you know, Clark being booed. You didn't boo him, did you? Emma? Oh, of course not. No. no. I mean, that was shameful. Well, I mean, that was the, really poor. The funny thing was, yeah, we we all knew that he would. We all knew that he would start playing for time, and and absolutely, it would be calmer, essentially, because of the England overrates. Not just this Test match, but this entire series. I mean, yeah, in terms of things coming back to bite you that, that absolutely we deserved Stuart Broad's shoe has exploded just before lunch and tea whether batting or bowling every time he's on the field through the entire test series so look to be honest I was had a, had a bit of a smile on my face at the end when uh, when Mitchell Stark was finding that he couldn't deliver the ball while he was running in yeah let's let's talk about the match as well because uh, one person who's incredibly lucky that all of this has happened, is Simon Kerrigan, because he will be talked about, of course, but in a way, one of the most awful, dreadful, disastrous, not a word I like using about sport, but we'll use it here, uh, debuts in possibly the history of sports, is, is going to be <laughs> glossed over by what happened at the end of the match. You've got that look on your face, Emma, you felt desperately sorry for him, as I think we all did, but <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll let you explain how you felt with well, Kerrigan. I mean, I think you just felt... It felt like watching your little kid brother go out, run out to play in the park with the big boys, didn't it? And you, you sort of, you, you were really pleased for him that he was getting his chance, you know, especially as we are Lancashire fans, she says with her completely non-Lancastrian accent. <laughs> but, you know, really, really thrilled for him, thought it was... Um, I didn't have a problem with the selection uh, per se. I thought that um, it was time for England to try out a couple of new people. And, um, you know, we'd all sort of heard enough good things about him that it was exciting. 
and then yeah basically it was your your little kid your kid brother going out and getting kind of run over <laughs> by 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 big boys in in studs that's how it felt and um i th- i noticed that even mike selvey seemed to be of all the people he seemed to be the person most advocating you know hug therapy for character <laughs> and i love this idea of you know that selvey was like stalking the you know the england dressing room like trying to get people to go and put their arms around him and give him a hug yeah he wrote an interesting piece as well didn't he about the yips and suggested that kerrigan didn't have the yips he just panicked and and couldn't cope and so on and so forth and in the space of not very many overs jeff he's not just bowled himself off the tour but he's possibly bowled himself out of a test career well the interesting thing being that he uh, also was potentially knocked out of a test career by a guy who was in terrible form in the series coming into that and that really made watson you know he got a single to go to his half century from the first ball kerrigan bowled and then after that he just took him apart i think it was 27 in 11 balls or something like that but i i can sympathize with uh, with kerrigan th- thinking about the bryce mcgain match so bryce mcgain was a leg spinner who played one test for australia in south africa you know in, in his mid-30s and he he was a very good bowler, bowled for Victoria, deserved to get his spot, um, and Jacques Callis and a couple of the South Africans just decided to take him apart. So he got none for 150 off, uh, off 15 overs or something like that, never played a test again. And, you know, you really did feel for him because he'd worked really hard to make his get his spot. He was an unlikely story. I mean, Kerrigan at least is young enough that he'll have a chance to come back, potentially. So uh, I wouldn't say it's all over for him. Uh, you, can, you should be able to write that off and say he had a bad match. That doesn't mean he's a bad bowler. He can't be a bad bowler because his record denies that yeah i couldn't help but think of scott boswell though when it was going on and you know the famous uh, one day final when he bowled that terrible over and um played one first class match after that you know boswell he was being tipped for the tour and after that he played only one first class match he was released at the end of the season so i hope the same thing uh, doesn't happen to kerrigan uh, it was an odd selection john i mean it was a really odd double selection wasn't it can you get your head around it um yeah, it was it was very un England like. Mm. It was you know the the whole sort of modus operandi of England has been this banging this drum of consistency, and then to throw in these two kind of wild cards at the end was yeah very unlike Candy Flower. Yeah, I, I, it sort of it sort of made sense. You couldn't they wanted two spinners and you couldn't play, um, or they felt they couldn't play the two spinners without a, a third seamer as backup, and Wokes kind of made that that balance to the attack. Um, yeah, I, I, it, it was a surprise. I don't think it, it sort of made sense as well, as, as well though. Um, as it turned out, it probably made more sense for Wokes than it did for, for Kerrigan in the end. Because Wokes battered quite nicely yesterday evening. I know it was kind of a one-day situation, which he's very much used to. Um, but yeah, Kerrigan had the air of a one-cap wonder by the end. Well, not necessarily anything too wonderful about it either, <laughs> but one-cap certainly. Um, Wokes did bat particularly well, didn't he? And he hit his first ball in Test cricket before, like David Gower did, so that's a good start for him as well. But did he look a bit too much like a bits and pieces cricketer? Did he look like he was really a third seamer, do you think, for a, in Test match cricket? A lot of people felt that he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't look like he'd be somebody as, as the third fall in the attack. Um but his yeah his future if he has got a future for, for England will be as a, a number six who bowls a bit. But there's plenty of competition for that spot at the moment. What did you make of Wokes? I mean, he, I, in a way, he's fortunate because his debut was probably average. Yeah, but it looked great. I mean, it, it makes <laughs> it makes me think of that chant. You know, there's there's only one Tim Bresnan, I'd say, and um, there's a reason why we pick Tim Bresnan, and it's because what he does, he does very well, even though it's not the most 
exciting of roles and it's and he's not the most intriguing bowler especially to watch um and i think this i think wokes is proving how unique bresnan is in that regard i actually i kind of um like i said i don't disagree with the principle of them picking throwing a couple of new people in but uh but in terms of personnel i did disagree and i i think it's odd um you know obviously Chris Tremlett has since been, uh, you know, bowling brilliantly at Durham for um, Surrey. And I, I think the fact that we know that they're going to be uh, green grassy wickets in Australia, why wouldn't you Why wouldn't you give Tremlett that opportunity to, to basically bowl himself into the side? But doesn't this mean, we, did, we touched on this last time, um, I know you don't listen to the show when you're not on it, Emma, so you probably don't know that we, we touched on this, but um, Bairstow's on the tour, isn't he, by not being picked we touched it. You know, yes, he's definitely right, on the right. door. Tremlett probably is too, isn't he? You would think so. I mean, he doesn't I, need to bowl himself. If he needed to bowl himself onto the tour, surely he'd have been given a chance to. He must be on the tour, and and Besto, I think, certainly is the second keeper. Isn't we he? expected Tremlett to play. All the indications from Cook in the press conference the day before, without ever saying so, was that Tremlett would play. So whether he was just trying to psych out the Australians, I don't know. But uh, yeah, but Besto's probably saved himself because he hasn't failed often enough to be dropped now. <laughs> Now, we're going to talk about composite 11s uh, in a moment. I'm really interested to hear yours. But in terms of Australia, it ended up being a really good test match because last time we spoke, you were talk- joking about the batting order at Brisbane saying, take your pick. But now it is starting to look a little more solid. Watson's in the side. Smith is in the side. Faulkner had a very good debut as well and maybe is in the side. So things look a bit more solid, don't they? Yeah, look, Faulkner's in the side. I, I think the the real problem with that, though, is that then you're likely to have Brad Haddon at six and Brad Haddon is not a top six batsman. You know, he has a, a good innings every five or six outings, um, but he also plays a lot of stupid shots and tries to, to late cut balls off his stumps and gets himself bowled and, you know, charges the bowler to pull it to mid on and all this kind of stuff that, that Haddon does. He's a lottery batsman so i i think faulkner played very well and his bowling was tight and particularly in that sort of pseudo one day situation at the end suddenly you've got a guy who can bowl slow bounces and change ups and uh, got a couple of very important wickets there you know he was the one who was breaking through and, and got trot out and uh, all the rest of it so having him in the side is a is a good option but i wonder whether he could play as a frontline bowler you know his his strength is his bowling more than his batting so having to see him as an all-rounder doesn't necessarily make sense is there a case for batting wade at six and getting faulkner into the side as a result of more that? so than hadn't yeah wade is a much better batsman in in terms of i guess technique and patience you know wade will will wait out in innings he he's already scored a couple of centuries in in relatively few opportunities whereas you know hadn't scored a couple in a, a larger number of test matches so if if wade comes back you know wade's keeping was what got him dropped he was he had trouble but he had trouble in india where if you've never kept before it you know it can be a challenge to to adapt to those situations so yeah that's i'd be more comfortable with that it was hard not to feel um, absolutely thrilled for steve smith wasn't it john um given you know he's he's an infectious cricketer isn't he and and he's much improved as well yeah yeah he was it was fantastic it was a really nice really nice moment he always has come across to me as a guy who is going to be good for you know a 40 yard or a, a punchy little 60 at number five which is not what you need from your number five you need more and yeah he's he's showing uh, that he there is more to his game than that although i think the the whole test has been in terms of selection for australia it's quite interesting that they went in almost having exactly the same selection issues as england so they had a, a pretty much nailed down top five and a keeper and an established bowling two seamers and a spinner that were basically nailed on as the first eleven. Whereas the number six and the third seam was the only kind of selection issue where it looked like for either team. It's like being spinal taps drummer 
uh, being number six or the third seamer for either team. But now, with the way Faulkner played, it almost kind of muddies the water for Australia a little bit. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. So you know, that's why I think it's worth looking at whether he can just bowl as a third as a third bowler and have him as a as a frontliner. You know, th- that was there wasn't much in that pitch. So I, I thought the, the assessment of Chris Wokes was a bit harsh because it, there was nothing in it for him. You know, you've got one side making nearly five hundred, and then England batting for about seven days before you know Australia could finally prize them out. So on that wicket, you know, it's not like he got a great opportunity to to show off his wares. He also did look a, a good batsman, and there, there have been players, many players in the past. Steve Smith would be, would be one, actually, who's worked hard at one aspect of his game. He yep. would have come in, really, as a, a leg spinner who could bat. And Peterson, too, started out, not in test cricket, but as an off-spinner, of course, and look at him now. So there is a chance that Wokes may be a test number six, and, and his bowling might be incredibly useful. So maybe he's worth persevering. Would you think Wokes goes on the tour, Emma? It's, uh, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I wouldn't take him because I would feel like he's too much... He, he can. He's he's too much a like for like for Bresnan. You know, it, it basically, if anything happens to Bresnan, well, something has happened to him, hasn't well, it? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, is so he... in that sense, though, I don't. You know, but I, he doesn't make he doesn't make me excited to you know at the prospect of watching him play. Mighty okay. Flintoff was a pretty ordinary batsman at number six. He he was never a, a six really, but England persisted with the idea that he probably was because he was a fantastic bowler. If you're looking to get in shape, build your fitness and improve your well-being, then all you need is a decent pair of running shoes, a bit of determination and the brand new Guardian Guide to Running podcasts. Our eight-week program will transform you from complete running novice to someone who's able to run for 30 minutes non-stop. And if you're a more experienced runner and want to take things to the next level, then we've also got four special runs for you in our advanced running guides. The Guardian Guide to Running podcasts. Available now on iTunes and theguardian.com. We're going to look at composite 11s because it is um, interesting and it's worth talking about. Um, I will try and do it positionally. We're not going to spend hours and hours on it. But, John, who, who would your... I think openers... There are two areas that are very difficult, I think. A lot of them pick themselves. But, um, in fact, shall I, shall I go through the ones who pick themselves? And then we can get rid of those. So have we all got Bell, Peterson and Clark in the middle order, for example? Yes. Everyone's nodding. We've got Bell, Peterson and Clark in the middle order. Is that are you are you nodding as well? Well, I I don't necessarily have Peterson because I thought he had an up and down series. It depends whether you have Peterson or whether you pick Watson on one innings, which is probably a bit uh, over optimistic. Okay, well I I've, I've got Watson elsewhere um, in my side. Um let's get let's go through the openers then first of all. Who does everyone have as openers? John, you first of all. Uh well I've got uh, Chris Rogers and Joe Root down as my two. Okay, so you've got Joe Root. Emma, who have you gone? Hi. I've got Chris Rogers and I'm going to go with Watson. I know this is completely against probably the rules of the game, but um, I think that since he didn't he come in at three actually quite early in the innings anyway. Yeah, yeah, five overs in. It's five overs in. You know, I think I think considering the number of runs he's now made uh, in the series for 418 at 41.8 and the strike rate 64.3 I mean I want to see that man bat basically okay Jeff who have you got look I, I do have Rogers and Joe Root but it was pretty hard to pick Joe Root given he had like Watson had one good innings in which he was dropped on you know in single figures um, so there, there really isn't a great option for that other opening spot also because Australia had a different one every single test so. yeah I've taken a complete flyer at opener actually because I, I, I'm just so unconvinced by Joe Root yeah. I, I don't buy into the hype at yeah. all Rogers has to play I've gone Rogers and Warner that's my one flyer if you like because I mm-hmm. like him so much as a cricketer and he made me laugh quite a lot as well uh, not all always the ideal reasons but <laughs> yeah. but anyway I've gone Rogers and Warner I, as I my thought about that a lot as well but I thought I couldn't I couldn't be too biased and, and go for two well, Australians I can. I can so there you go I've done it for you um, and who have you got at three John 
Now, three I struggled with slightly because I quite wanted to get James Faulkner in somewhere because I've got a bit of a man crush on him after the last five days. But I went for Shane Watson on the basis of that one innings. I've gone Watson too. Have you gone Watson? Yes, Watson. Jeff's gone Watson. And you've gone Jonathan Trott, haven't you? I, w- I would have gone Jonathan <laughs> Trott, but, but in order to try and fit everybody else into my 11, I'm just, I'm just bumping Bell up the order. I'm just <laughs> okay. putting him in at three. So we'll, we'll, we'll sort of roughly talk. <laughs> Your most consistent player and you just want to screw him around. <laughs> I, I trust him. That's what I'm saying. I think he can bat anywhere. I think he's amazing. Okay, well, yeah, no, I can, I can see that as well. And we can whiz through the middle order because we're going we're gonna to all have similar players in there. I mean, I've gone from Watson at three, Bell, Peterson, Clark uh, in the rest of the middle order before we get down to the keeper. Uh, you're going to make a case. Is anyone going to make a case for Smith? He would be the yes. only one. You're going to yeah. make a case for Smith instead of Peterson. I've got Clark four, uh, Bell five, Smith six because I don't want to touch Ian Bell. I think, you know, you, you mm-hmm. don't mess with the magic. Um, 300s already and definitely robbed at Old Trafford. That four not out was looking prime for another century. So, yeah, I'd, I'd have Smith at six. I think that's that's more his natural position. You don't want to touch Ian Bell, and John very much wants to touch James Faulkner, um, clearly. But uh, what about <laughs> what about your middle orders? Are they th- th- similar sort of areas? Clark in both your teams? Yeah, Peterson, yeah. Bell, Clark. I went for four, five, six. Yeah, and well, I've managed to fit Smith in okay. by by moving Bell up to three. So you that know, means... I'm a maverick. <laughs> okay, so yeah, and you had Watson opening, didn't you? So you've basically left out Root or Warner or whoever else we've gone for. Yeah. You've, mm-hmm. you've solved the opening debate doing it that way. Which uh-huh. okay, I can see what you've done there. She's got Andy Murray at eight. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, and keepers. Uh, uh, I mean, had it has to be Haddon, doesn't it? Yeah, had a better series with the bat. Yeah, everyone's gone Haddon, so that's nice and easy. Um, and uh, then we've got the, the four bowling berths, as it were. I presume everyone's gone for Graham Swan as the spinner. No one Absolutely. could go Nathan Lyon or Ashton Agar. Um, and Ryan Harris, I presume, is in everyone's team. Yes. Yep. Uh, James Anderson, I presume, is in everyone's yeah, team. Although there would be a, a debate about him in the, the latter Test matches. But and then it's the. The, the, it's I guess the, thing the debate that's between make you mad, isn't it? You know this is the in, thing that's well, going to really upset you is that we're all going to have picked broad, well, and you're Sid- not going to understand it. It's Siddle or broad, isn't it? <laughs> it has to be Siddle or broad. Um, I've gone Siddle, but um, there's almost a case you can make for broad definitely being in the team mm. and Anderson being, it being Anderson or Siddle, really. Yeah. Although, okay. uh, I mean, I, I've, I've gone for broad and Anderson. You've gone broad and Anderson, yeah. and Jeff, you. I just. I just can't vote for Stuart Broad. It wouldn't matter what he did. wouldn't matter how many. If he took every single wicket in the series, I'd still find a way. I, just, I don't like his hair or something. I, you know. So, no, I'd, I'd, I've gone for Siddle because he's has fewer problems with his footwear. Yeah, I think Siddle's been a Trojan as well. He's been magnificent in the series. Um, Stuart Broad is obviously a gigantic tip, so I can't have him anywhere near uh, my team, allegedly. I can't have him anywhere near my team. Um, Emma, what about you? You've got Broad, haven't you? Of course I've got Broad. I mean, just in terms of sheer sexiness of delivery, he, he watching those deliveries... I, I'm sorry, I, I like Siddle, and if there was, you know, if I could pick a 13, <laughs> he'd definitely be in there. But literally, what he does with that ball is so appealing to watch, and, and he's, you know, two or three absolutely devastating spells where you couldn't leave the room, you couldn't take your eyes off him. Well, I did say to you on Twitter that if you picked Stuart Broad in your comments at 11, I would never talk to you again, so yeah. get out. <laughs> uh, there's about uh, 10 minutes that get out, which is the three of us for the rest of it, but no, Stuart Broad clearly gets the vote. So, we, I mean, we're not going to do a sort of composite between the four of us, because they're all pretty similar, but it seems like the sticking points were the openers, which is interesting, actually. Uh, no one's got that much faith in Joe Root. People have tried to find a way to get him out of the side, and, uh, and Smith, of course, no one would ever dreamt that he'd be anywhere near sort of getting into a side, uh, a composite side, but uh, well done. And isn't it interesting... That- Oh, so sorry. I was going to say I watched the um, in the rain delay. I don't know if you saw they were playing the Melbourne 2010 match, and uh, the commentators were actually saying about Smith, he does not look like a. 
test number six. I mean, just they were they, they were just absolutely writing him off. It was mm. fascinating to listen he, to. He did bunt a nice little fifty odd not out in that in that test when everyone else was completely hopeless. So he yeah. looked better than our crap top order back then. But isn't it interesting that in a three nil defeat? you're really struggling to get more England players than Australians and no one's being particularly biased or kooky or anything like that it's um it, it just seems odd it's, it's been I mean I've got 7-4 I mean I appreciate I picked Warner but uh, 6-5, 7-4 and, yeah. and most composite 11s I've seen uh, I mean Andy Bull our dear colleague on this picked, picked Smith over Peterson mm-hmm. um, in the Observer on Sunday as well so it's strange isn't it's, it? it's been a very even series and it's been deceptive you've had one lopsided win at Lords you know where you can have a, a, a crushing win in any series you know Australia f- uh, flogged uh, England in Perth last time around in between losing by an innings every other match so you know that can happen but then you've got two defeats where you know if an hour went differently either way Australia would have won and then you've got two draws where Australia were well on top and declared twice in both of those draws and uh, lost more than a day to rain each time so you know it's it's been a very even series isn't it isn't it funny that Australia can claim to not only have the better players but also could potentially claim to have the better captain (laughs) with the better captaincy skills and still have lost a series well these are my two final questions presumably we've all got Clark as captain we have to yeah. because Cook's not, in, not, in, not, not yeah. anywhere near our side uh, we could have gone a bit crazy if it Warner as captain we've got Clark as captain and who, who would the coach be John? who would the coach be? oh that's a tough one um, you'd have to have uh, oh, I don't know if Andy Flower could work with Michael Clark though you know I, I think I think Andy Flower wants a guy who is essentially his representative on earth you know in, sort of <laughs> uh, Alistair Cook sort of his pope to um, <laughs> his own you know deity um so, yeah, Michael Clark's just too much of a maverick on his own, so maybe you'd have to have Lehman just so they could uh, they could work together. Although, you know, Andy Flower has clearly done wonderful things over the years for England. Let's make Warner coach. Yeah? Yeah, just get left field. I was about to do a religious gag about could a Lehman work with the Pope, but you, you, <laughs> hey. you've taken that away from me. So, OK, uh, but you would go... So you're going to go, after all of that... I don't know, ramble, actually. Still don't I'm know. still okay, going to well, go, oh, no, go for Andy Flower. You go for Flower. Emma, who are you going for? I think I'd go... I'd go for Flower, except for, for the fact that with Hugh Morris uh, moving out of position, he, he might be... Who knows, he might be... But you go Flower for today, now. But for now, I'll go Flower. Jeff, I'd go for Flower, because otherwise he'd have me killed. <laughs> OK, OK, that's, uh, that's good to know. I'm going to go for the father and son team of Chris and uh, Stuart Broad. Uh, as my uh, my coaching duo for uh, really good really good motivators they'll uh, they'll represent the team uh, so well uh, as well now looking ahead to um to brisbane um the common feeling seems to be that you know the last couple of test matches have helped australia there's momentum and it's going to be really tight and so on and so forth is it should we buy into that jeff the pitches out in australia um at present are not as friendly to bowlers as the pitchers here. So I think the Australian bowling attack performed better here than they may back home because Brisbane and Adelaide particularly, you won't get much assistance as a bowler. They'll probably be, be batting matches. There'll be large totals. Um, and, you know, England, if their top three get their act together, will be able to, to roll on and make some good scores. You know, England haven't passed 400 the entire series. So if they can sort that out... Um, it may be a lot tougher, for, at least for those first two tests, and they'll be crucial. And uh, what, how do you feel about this, Emma? I mean, there's, there's a bit of needle has crept in as well, isn't there? The, you know, the, the Clark and Pryor thing yesterday and, and several things that have happened throughout the series. So it could be a bit of fun over there, and the Australian crowds are pretty unforgiving. Yeah, and, and Lehman, you know, in, inciting inciting people to, to yell at Broad, which I think he'll absolutely love. You know, I mean, I think it's... We should, so- we should make the point, shouldn't we, that he... I mean, he was on a radio show. It was oh, one of those man. awful, chatty, let's all be mates things, and he... Yep. he possibly added beer not i'm not saying too many but possibly <laughs> and he, he shouldn't have done it but it, i don't think he was deliberately inciting them was i was he? really disappointed at the way the ecb went after him actually i yeah. thought that was really out of order even 
sort of our newspapers picked up on it, but it was also an acceptance that, that it wasn't really insightful. Considering that this summer, I thought I thought the ECB were doing really well when they went into bat for Billy the Bugler, you know, and they, they were like, all, you know, we, we love the Barmy Army, we're, we're chummy, you know, and, and then suddenly, right. you know, just going after Lehman about something so small. And you know what Broad does? He will get, he will get abuse and he really probably does deserve it in a sporting sense so (laughs) but he'll love it too he'll you know he'll love it yeah well they always it's a a football cliche isn't it the crowd are getting on you on your back you're doing something right and broad i think will will revel in it um but did you feel that was heavy-handed john the the, the whole the way the lehman thing was dealt with yeah um they were like you say it was just it was it was a knockabout kind of thing and it's He's only saying what is go- what is going to happen and, w- and what he does hope. He was only being honest, wasn't he? So I mean, I don't I don't really have too mu- too many problems with it. Um, I love the idea as well that you know they're going to step up safety. Broad's going to be walking around with like an entourage of <laughs> bodyguards. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, yeah, the reaction was hugely over the top, wasn't it? It was mm. incredible. Yeah, everyone's talking about how big the squad will be. Sort of uh, Steven Seagal and Vin Diesel uh, in the uh, in the England Ashes squad <laughs> yeah. just to uh, just to protect uh, Stuart Broad. But one, of, one of the things that's been quite a revelation being on this tour has been how much uh, any comment just gets flogged. It gets beaten up so much. You have a guy comes into a press conference, he's got nothing to say to a bunch of journalists he doesn't like. You know, he makes one even slightly unguarded comment and then that's a story you know that's on the AAP wires saying oh James Faulkner says England's terrible because they batted too slowly you know the guy made a joke and you can't make a joke with a with a smile on in a press conference because they, this room full of bastards is going to run off and start hammering up these stories about how you're a terrible guy and you hate England but is that not the I mean the modern world of, of journalism Emma somebody actually asked me that I hate to sound world weary no, but is that no. not the... so, somebody asked me that yesterday actually somebody um, I was I was very lucky enough to be watching uh the uh closing day from the roof terrace outside the ocs stand and uh, and so i was watching with a bunch of fans and it was when when they heard that i was a journalist first thing they said to me was why do, why do they get on you know why do they get on in- the england teams back especially but you know why why is everything you know turned around into a negative thing and i think it's really interesting from the point of view of how we all suddenly start saying oh boring boring test match you know boring boring england whereas actually just as you've described we're now we're now saying you know it's great to have these odd things and the longers of the game i mean it is as if we've just got to have something to say every day <laughs> Remarkably enough, that is something that journalists have to do. I had to file copy about rain. It rained. Yeah. Well, you're not as used to that in certain parts of Australia as you, as you would be over here. There's also this oddity coming up, because we're all talking about Brisbane, but there's a few one-day internationals of things uh, still to come. And I know that a lot of the talk in the ashes, John, was about how football's going to take over. And In fact, actually, the bad light story has, has stopped that. The, the cricket does take the headlines today over football for all the wrong reasons, of course. But... Um, they're kind of an irrelevance now. These one days, aren't they? Uh, well, not. They're not I mean, I'm going to love them because I'm a cricket fan. I'm yeah, sure we all yeah. are. But I mean, they're, they're, they're probably not going to capture the imagination of the I mean, public yeah. a great deal, are they? I wonder how much. Uh, I'd be interested to see, actually, particularly with people like Faulkner and a few of the Australian bowlers, how much uh, impact their performances in the ODI, ODI series will have. Mm. on their prospects for the winter will they take that into account do you think Jeff? i think so yeah i think you know there'll be that sense of momentum and you know faulkner's had a good game he's he's quite fired up and bullish so yeah if he can turn that into into something but that's really the only interest odi odi's are kind of like bowl of crisps you know you'll have it if it's there but you never 
you're rarely going, God, I really want an ODI. But Mitchell Johnson's coming over, isn't he? Oh, I don't know, is he? Yes, I think he is. Oh, I think he's coming God. over for the ODIs. And there's talk of him potentially getting into the side uh, for Brisbane, potentially, isn't the test there? Side. Yeah, there's side? Oh, yeah. God. I've not, read lots of talk about that. Yeah. Not again. Come on. I mean, surely Would that be a terrible false dawn? How many it? times can we bring back Mitchell bloody Johnson? We've had Mitchell Johnson up the wazoo. We've had Mitchell Johnson. <laughs> how many comebacks has he had? How many of them have been good? None. Never. I mean, just stop. He's What is he, 43? Just give it away, all right? But he's a good one-day bowler. Put him in there. He can have a slog. We've got other bowlers. They're good. They're consistent. They've done very well in this series. Just just stop. Okay, I, I want to talk about sort of looking back at the series as a whole before we before we leave you. Um, Emma did a really nice piece in, in The Observer about about that. So before we talk about highlights of the series, I want Jeff to, to do Emma a favour here, if, if that's okay. Could you just say the surname of the uh, small left-handed Australian number three who was dropped for the, for the final test match and try and do it in a kind of Jim Maxwell way? So it's Usman... Kawaja. <laughs> was that? It's not Jim Maxwell, but it wasn't it's, bad. Yeah, nothing. No, no name sounds more Australian. It's a beautiful thing. Kawaja. <laughs> that's the one. That's the one. There it's it Maxwell is. <laughs> so that, that's obviously one of your highlights of the series in in, in, a, in a in a light-hearted way. But what else? What else has been? Uh, uh, it could be highlights and lowlights. You know. You know. I mean, I think it's amazing how quickly we've forgotten about how excited we all were about Agar. <laughs> I mean, you know, that was so that, you know, his innings was so exciting and we were all excited to see him bowl as well. Don't forget, you know, we we thought that that was going to be something we were going to watch all summer. Well, at least the English people did. I know that the Australians were were more, you know, batting for Nathan Lyon. But um, yeah, Agar, I miss his little face. I thought he was a wonderful thing. And what a way to capture people's imagination. I know loads of people who weren't interested in cricket, weren't bothered about the Ashes, and it was Agar's innings that that got them interested in it. So thank you, Ashton. Yeah, and of course, if Simon Kerrigan had got a bat, who knows, he might have got 98 (laughs) and uh, and made a real uh, contribution. I mean, that's not the last we've seen of Agar, is it? No, no, not at all. I mean, what, he's 19. Yeah. Uh, His his bowling will come on. You know, he's he's a very decent bowler he's had some good good returns in shield cricket already and and his batting's been terrific at first class level quite a, aside from that test match even so you know that did get a lot of people excited and i think we were all realistic in saying that he may not be a, a, a dominant bowler and and sure enough you know he what was it a couple of wickets for 200 and something so uh, you know lion deserves to not be dropped all the time basically he's better than that and he keeps getting left out every time they have a wacky idea but uh, it was it was still just a, a wonderful one of those heartwarming kind of moments to to see that agar thing and how how you know twitter from australia sort of went into meltdown and all these people were staying up late and watching him it was Something I'll remember for a long time that I got yeah, to be there and see that innings. And I can't remember so many um, England fans wanting an Australian to score 100 in an Ashes series so much and being so um, deflated uh, when it happened. The scary thing about Nathan Lyon still is that he's 25. I, I just find that chilling. I mean, he's... He, 10 years older than that, surely. It's, it's quite <laughs> extraordinary. But uh, we, it's good that we'll see Agar again. And, of course, he could be another who, ally Chris Wokes, ends up being a test match number, you know, Steve Smith, uh, yep. a test match number five. He looked a lovely player. It wasn't luck, was it? So no. more to come from him. What about you, John? What do you remember particularly? Highlight, highlights. Well, fresh in the mind was, was Peterson's innings last night, which was just so out of keeping with the way that anybody else had been able to bat on that, on that surface. Even the Australians who were trying to the score runs, although the fields obviously were very different. I mean, it was a, a thrilling, thrilling hour or two that we spent in his company. Um, so the Broad's delivery to Clark in the last test that took out his off stump was a, and a, a few of Broad's balls over the series. In fact, the pace bowling in general of the series has been largely excellent, particularly from, from Harris. Um, 
the low light for me would, would was the rain at Old Trafford on the fi- on the final day because if that game had been allowed to run its course, then the last two tests would have been something very different. I think if it had been if it had been two one going into the last two, it would have been great. My highlight's easy because my favourite batsman got a hundred on my birthday, which was Michael Clark, which was uh, which was great. I, I just I, th- I think I told you this off air. I just felt incredibly nervous the, the, once he got to about eighty five. Incredibly nervous <laughs> for the whole day. And of course, the other the other highlight, um, tremendous cricketer, fantastic performance. Stuart Broad's bowling at Durham. I mean, the, the guy first name on any team sheet. I thought he was uh, he was wonderful. And uh, and the other low light, of course, concerns Stuart Broad, doesn't it? The the nick that was or, or wasn't, and DRS and so on. Do you think DRS will be more? sorted out and less headliney by the time we get to Australia, Jeff. Oh, they're they're going to have a meeting, aren't they, in October, I think. Yes, I, I don't know. There'll be... Snicko might come in, I think. Well. Okay. That's, that's the talk, isn't it? They've, they've mm-hmm. managed to get it married up with the pictures enough for it to potentially work. It's certainly something Dave Richardson's talked about. I think there's still, there's still room to work on it. Uh, basically, I don't like the idea that the players have to adjudicate themselves. I think it should be something the third umpire's overseeing. You know, when it looks like there might be a mistake made, you review that footage, you know, and, and, and whether they can put sensible parameters in place so they're not reviewing everything but if they're quite happy to look at six replays to determine if a guy's touching the boundary rope while he's fielding the ball to save one run but they won't look at at an lbw decision or a court behind unless the players review it so that that sort of feels emma that that's what eventually will happen as it as it will in football in terms of goal line technology the referee will call it up as it does already in rugby the referee calls it up to help him and i think eventually that's where we'll get isn't it with umpiring i hope so and i hope that i hope that it just makes the whole process a lot swifter because um much though one of my favorite things about drs is that moment when the batsman uh on strike uh who's who's being drs uh stops at the other end of the pitch and has that kind of you know that, it's almost like a sort of therapy session yeah. with his non-striker and you see all these emotions going across mm-hmm. their face now that's that's fantastic you know that's it's, but it's, it's too slow but it's, it's like pleading for clemency it goes <laughs> please chris rogers give me a reprieve can i review it no get off mate. trot last night to cook he's like nah not a chance bugger off mate <laughs> <laughs> the other thing this series has taught us, isn't it, is how lucky we've been, John, in the last two Home Ashes series. That, you know, when you've grown up watching, you know, cricket maybe before it was as sexy as it got in 2005 and so on, that it was always like this. You know, Ashes series weren't thrilling necessarily. They were, they were what they were. You loved cricket and it involved people making slow hundreds. It involved attritional days. It involved things that were disappointing. And in a way, we've been spoilt so much. Isn't that the lesson from this summer that, this is what Test cricket's like. You can't sex it up, but you've got to enjoy it for what it is. No? I think, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a fair point. I mean, was it after the eighty-one Ashes? England? They were okay. Yeah, yeah they were they fine. Were but England okay. went to India in the in the winter and lost one and drew the next four on you know ridiculously dry, um, boring, dull pitches. Um, and yeah, that's that yeah, fans, te- fancy a home team uh, creating pictures to, uh, <laughs> yeah, to, to suit, suit their themselves. specific bowling well, style. Eh? Who, that's well, that's, that's cricket, again. isn't it? That's like sort of that's part of what I was what I'm saying. Really. I think that's true, and I think it's really interesting that over the years people. People like to define what Test cricket is. So you know, you, ha- you had the Bill Wo- the Bill Woodfull remark about you know the- there's two teams out there, only one of them is playing cricket. And and I feel like when people are moaning about England batting slowly and all the rest of it, uh, it's because maybe T20, whatever. We we each generation we kind of like to tell ourselves what Test cricket is, but actually it, it encompasses all things. And you know, if you if you look at um, rugby, if you have a really attritional game of rugby, nobody actually ever says yeah, but yeah. But they're not playing rugby out there <laughs> you know no, nobody uses that and it's the greatest insult you can use about cricket is to say oh that team's not playing cricket mm. 
They, in, a, in, in the Southern Hemisphere, they do tend to say that about <laughs> in Northern we Hemisphere don't. rugby. Like, ah, oh, penalties, kicking. No, not rugby. Running, tries. But no other sport has you know, brought a, a phrase into common parlance to define the way that someone behaves. It's just not cricket. And you know, that's something that's, that's worth remembering too as we end this very philosophically, Emma. <laughs> you just want to talk about broad again. <laughs> no, no, not, a, not at all. No, not at all. But it, but you know, it's again just to, just to make the point. It's a cricket is a state of mind, isn't it? And yes. you know, not necessarily a crash bang wallop, fun every minute. That's, no. that's T Twenty. And and in that way, I kind of agree that that last night was a good result, um, and that it, it was thrilling and it was exciting, and ultimately, that you know. As an extremely biased Australian, I was very glad to not lose the match. But I didn't feel Australia deserved to lose a match, and it didn't feel England particularly deserved to win it. To win it, and to have honours shared, it seemed like a an appropriate result in in a, in a game which could have gone anywhere. And it was still exciting, and it was still everyone was still adrenaline fueled, and that was a good way to end the series. It's only fair to let the Australian, I think, um, have the last word. And I always say as well, if any podcast or show that you're doing when someone says cricket is a state of mind, I think that tends to show that it's run its course. It was me this time. It could have been anyone, but uh, it was me this time. So, listen, thank you so much for your contributions uh, throughout the series. Good to have you along for the last Test match, John. Hopefully we'll be hearing from you again. Uh, I know on other Guardian products we certainly will be. So uh, thanks for coming along. Really good to to hear from you and uh, from you, Jeff, as well. And uh, Emma, too. Thanks both for your contributions. And safe home to you, and we'll see you um, in in Brisbane as well, Jeff. But uh, it's been a fun summer. England, uh, of course, have won and it ended up in maybe controversial circumstances on the oval pitch, but we'll um, forgive them for that. But listen, thanks very much indeed for listening. Thanks too to producer Ben and uh, from the Guardian uh, Ashes podcast from me, Dave Farrett. We'll be seeing you soon, but uh, that's all for now.